Amen. Well, it's good to see you all today. And how many of you are enjoying the vitamin D that we're finally getting? Anybody? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think I got a little bit too much at my nephew's ball game yesterday. I'm bright red under this shirt. So uh, anyways, I hope none of you are lobster-like, but it's good to be in church. And Pastor Paul, he had a busy week. He was at the FCA conference in Winnipeg. He's never done working. And I think actually this next week he gets a bit of a rest. So let's pray that him and his family actually enjoy resting while they get away for a little bit of a vacation uh, because he puts in so much time time and effort for for us, for our benefit and for our growth. Uh, Yeah, we can give Pastor Paul a little hand. That's right. (laughs) Well, why don't we pray and then let's jump into the word together this morning. Father, we just, we thank you. God, you're so good to us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't be good enough. And yet you give your love freely. Jesus, we thank you that you died that you rose again and that you're still living today to bring us victory, to bring us hope, to bring us new life. And Jesus, I pray that today we would have open ears to hear you, that we would know that you are calling us. You see us and you want us to follow you. Father God, I just pray that you would show us what our response should be. So Lord, we just, we give this morning to you. We thank you for it. We thank you for this day and ask that your name be glorified in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So when I was 13, I was a pretty normal kid. You know, I I grew up in a small town, Saskatchewan. It was relatively safe. And, you know, I I played sports at school, played soccer, played basketball, different sports like that. And and when I was 13, I had lots of chores that you have to do, right? You mow the lawn, you trim the hedge, you do the dishes. All of those things had lots of that stuff that I had to do. And also, I, I would practice piano, you know, involved in all of those things. Like, all we want all of our kids to be involved in everything, right? And so I was involved in a lot of different things. I was pretty normal, though. When I was 13, um, basically every day after school, my friends and I would go either to the park or we'd go play soccer, we'd go play ball, we'd go play football. And at that point, when I was 13, the boys were all still, um, like, us girls were relatively, like, taller. Not me, but, like, you know, we could actually tackle the boys, right? And then once 14 hit, it was all of a sudden, like, I can't play football anymore with the guys. Like, that's just not happening, right? So when I was 13, that was what my life basically looked like. Pretty normal. We played every day after church, or after school till the sun went down. We were outside. We just loved being active. Now, I want to compare my 13-year-old self to another 13-year-old that I've heard about. And this 13-year-old, he was pretty normal too. He grew up with a single mom, and he went to school. He had chores. He liked playing sports. He played soccer and hockey, and he also played music. But his music was not like mine, where I had to practice the piano. No, he instead, he had such a passion for music that he taught himself how to play piano, guitar, trumpet. He took drum lessons. He was constantly singing because he just was so passionate about music. Now, he kept that gift to himself until he was 13, and then he thought, oh, I'll, I'll sign up for this, this talent show at my school. And so he played in this talent show, and he actually got second place. And he had somebody film it for him, and he took that, that video, and he put it on YouTube because some friends and family couldn't be there, and he wanted them to be able to see it. Now, he never expected that somebody else 
a manager, a music manager, marketer, would be online on YouTube looking for another artist down the road, and he happened to stumble upon this 13-year-old's performance. He was so impressed that he was determined to figure out where this theater was, where the school was, and then he contacted the school and he said, who is this kid, and can you give me his information to contact him and his mom? Finally, he got through and was able to contact this young kid and his mom, and he offered the invitation of a lifetime to young 13-year-old Justin Bieber to come and sing down in Atlanta. 13 years old. Whether or not you like Justin Bieber or not, that's not the point, okay? Uh, And maybe some of you are like, I don't even know who Justin Bieber is. Well, he's one of the biggest names in pop culture now, okay? He's kind of a big deal. And that was about 11 years ago or 12 years ago, something like that. And now he's a big deal. A week later, he was already singing for one of the biggest hip-hop artists. You know, this kid was given an invitation of a lifetime that radically changed the trajectory of his life. It changed his life completely. Him and his mom packed up his life, and they moved down to Atlanta, and they did everything for music from that point forward. You know, I think most of us growing up, we had this deep desire to be called into greatness or to be given that invitation to to play for that famous sports team or to, to go and record an album or to be an actor or an actress. I think in most kids, there's this desire to live a great life, to be invited into greatness. Now, most of us in Red Deer, Alberta, have not been given that call to actually go and make music or to be that famous actress. However, I would dare say that each of us have been given an invitation of a lifetime. All of us have been invited to the greatest thing that we could ever be invited to. And actually, Justin Bieber's invitation pales in comparison to our invitation to follow Jesus. Jesus is here today, and he actually is calling each one of us, come, follow me. And so this morning, I want to look at at a story about how Jesus interacted with a guy, and he extended an invitation to him, an undeserving guy. He extended an invitation, and then I want to look at what his response is, and then I want to take a step back, and for us to see what the invitation is to us from Jesus, and what is our response going to be. So this morning, if you want to flip to Luke chapter 5, that's where we're going to be. Luke chapter 5, verse 27, and Luke is the third book in the New Testament. It's the third of four Gospels, and Gospel literally means good news. And so it's the good news about who Jesus is. And so there's four different books in the New Testament that tell us who Jesus is. And Luke was commissioned by a Roman official named Theophilus to go and research a whole bunch of stuff about who Jesus is. And then Luke wrote it out to encourage Theophilus don't give up on your faith. You're, you're, keep following. Jesus is real, and this is who he is. This is what he has done. And so in Luke chapter 5, right before our, our passage that we're going to be diving into today, Luke chapter 5, it, it's a whole bunch of stories of Jesus encountering different people. And it starts out in verse 1, where Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum or near that area, and there's a whole bunch of people. There's a crowd of people pressing in, and they want to hear from him. And it was getting too congested that he sees a boat, and he goes and he hops in the boat. Now, I don't know if he know 
knows the guy who owned it or even asked if he could get into the boat. But he hops into this boat and he starts teaching from there so that everybody could hear. And he's teaching and teaching. And then when he's finally done teaching, he gets out of the boat and he comes to shore and he finds the owner. His name is Simon. A lot of people know him as Peter now. And, and he finds Simon and he says, hey, you should go out and cast your nets again. And it's kind of funny because Jesus was a carpenter and Jesus had just started his earthly ministry. And so it would have been interesting for a fisherman, a pro fisherman to hear from a carpenter, hey, this is how you're supposed to fish, go and cast your nets again. And Simon kind of says, you know, I've been out all night and I didn't catch a single thing, but because you say so, I'll go do it. Now, many of us know the story, right? Simon goes out and he does cast his nets and he has this huge catch of fish. When he finally gets to shore, his response to Jesus, he throws himself before Jesus and he says, go away from me for I am a sinful man. And Jesus says, get up, come, follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Jesus changed the trajectory of Simon's peace or life that day. You know, the next story that we come upon is this leper that comes to Jesus. He hears about Jesus, and he comes, and he says, God, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean. And he's cleansed, and he's healed from his leprosy. The next story, the next interaction that Jesus has with somebody, he's once again teaching in Capernaum, and he's in this house, and it's packed in there. There's no more room, but there's a guy who's desperate for a touch from Christ, and his friends are determined to get their friend to Jesus, but he's paralyzed, and there's no room in the house. So what do they do? They dig a hole in the roof, and they lower him before Jesus. You know, a little bit unorthodox, but they're determined to get their friends to Jesus, who's paralyzed. And in that story, we see that Jesus not only heals him so that he can get up and walk, but he actually forgives him. He changes his life. And then we come to Luke chapter 5, verse 27, and it's another interaction between Jesus and another guy. And so all this to say, this is what's happening right before um, this passage. You know, even in verse 27, where we're going to start, it says, after this, so after all of these things, and it News was spreading, it says in verse 15, because Jesus was doing miracles and he was inviting people to follow him, inviting people to a different life. And so in verse 27, let's pick it up and it says this, after all of these things, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Now, this isn't abnormal at all. There were tax collectors throughout the Roman Empire, and the Romans were the world ruler kind of thing. Like, they were the dominant force. And they would conquer different nations, but then they would commission people from that nation to be tax collectors. Basically, well, gather taxes, right? Tax collector. Uh, Pretty self-evident. But here's the thing that's not so self-evident, is that people hated the tax collectors. The Jews hated their fellow brothers and sisters because they were tax collectors. Because here's the thing about tax collectors. They weren't just taking taxes for the Romans, but a lot of the times they would charge way more and then they would line their pockets with it. They were hated by their fellow Jews because they were seen as dishonest, as liars, as thieves. They were so disreputable that what, they weren't even allowed to come to the synagogue. They were kicked out of the synagogue. They couldn't worship God with their fellow Jews because their, 
their vocation was so despicable in the eyes of the Jews. Not only that, they weren't even allowed to be witnesses in the court of law because they were viewed as liars, as dishonest people. Now, this is not abnormal to see a tax collector, but what is abnormal is Jesus' interaction with this particular tax collector. Because it says that Jesus came out and he sees this tax collector named Levi sitting at his booth. And then listen to this, this interaction between Jesus and him. So he's sitting at his tax booth and Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. I can only imagine being one of the disciples, even though Simon wasn't that great of a person. At least he wasn't a tax collector. You know, like, and I can imagine Simon being there like, Lord, what are you doing? Don't call that guy anybody but him. He's a bad dude. You know, like, that's what the disciples and the other people around him would have been thinking. Why would you call a tax collector? Why would you offer this invitation to him? You know, I, I don't know if Jesus actually had to go up to the tax booth to pay taxes at that moment, or I kind of th- would like to think, and it doesn't give us details, but it almost sounds like Jesus comes out and he sees a guy from a distance. He sees him and he says, you, follow me. And he gives this invitation, follow me. Now, the thing about this invitation, it's not just a question. It's not like, hey, you want to come hang out with us? It actually has this idea of a command. It's an imperative. You must follow me or start following me. But here's the other thing about in the Greek language and how this is written is that it's a continuous command. So start to follow me and continue to follow me day after day after day. See, what Jesus was inviting him into and what he was commanding him to do is to have a relationship with Christ. Come, be with me. Follow me. Let's do life together. I want you to leave where you're at. I want you to leave your life and come to follow me. Because I've got a good plan for you. It's not necessarily a question. It is a command. But here's the thing. Whenever Jesus gives us a command or something like that, there's a choice. We have a choice. And the choice is to either reject that command or that invitation, or we can accept it and obey it. The choice is ours. Now, we sometimes think, oh, well, I chose God. No, God is always the one who initiates. (laughs) He's always the one who initiates. We do not choose him. He chooses us. But we have the option of whether or not we will receive that choice, whether or not we will obey him or reject him. And Levi had that choice sitting there. He could have said, well, I'm, I'm pretty, like, comfortable. I have a lot of money, all my friends, you know, like, I'd rather not get up from my booth and, like, walk through the crowd and follow you. I don't know what that looks like, and that kind of scares me. You know, Levi could have had ample different excuses to say, I don't want to. And we all have the same choice. We can come up with tons of excuses, but then we miss out on this relationship, this invitation to follow Christ, to be with him, to have relationship with him. But let's look at what Levi's response is. It says in verse 28 that Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed him. 
His response was immediate and it was full-hearted. He left absolutely everything. The fact that he got up says that he was at his tax booth. That's where Jesus saw him. So he was on the job and he literally gets up from the job, walks away when people are probably upset that he's walking away from his job, but he leaves it all. He says, I don't want any more of this and I'm going to follow Jesus. And he follows him from then on for the rest of his life. He follows Jesus. And I can't help but wonder what prepared Levi to actually follow Jesus like that. Why did he get up, leave everything, and follow him without any prior interaction with Jesus? You know, I kind of speculate a little bit here, but Capernaum, it was like a decent-sized place in the first century, but words still spread really fast. It seems like Jews like to talk and, you know, all this stuff. So either Levi had already heard about who Jesus is, his miracles, right? News was spreading, he had probably heard about who Jesus is if he hadn't even heard Jesus teach himself. And I would actually think that maybe Jesus had, or Levi had heard Jesus preach and teach before. And there was something stirring in him. And maybe there was actually a deep desire to follow Jesus way before this invitation, but something was holding him back. And I can't help but wonder if what was holding him back was shame, guilt, condemnation, thinking, I can't follow Jesus. He's a righteous man. I'm a tax collector. My friends are prostitutes and sinners. I've done horrible things. I've lied. I've stole. I've cheated. And potentially way worse. I wonder if he would long to follow Jesus, but he felt like there's no way that I can with the past that I have. How many of us have either been there Or are there today where we feel like, God, I'm too bad. I'm too messed up. You could never forgive me. There's no hope. And we're just going through life. And we find ourselves here. And maybe you're here today because Jesus actually is calling you to say, hey, I don't see your past. I see your future and I want to change the trajectory of your life. I want to give you an invitation of the lifetime to follow me to be in relationship with me, to start today, but to continue tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. See, Jesus saw Levi. He picked him out of a crowd and said, you, I want you to follow me. I'm not holding your past against you, your evil deeds, your your wickedness, your sin, your filth. I'm not holding that against you. I want to wash that away and make you clean and put you on a new path. I want to give you new life. Because our past do not define us when it comes to Jesus. He doesn't see our failures. He looks past those, through those, and he sees the heart. And he calls us to follow him. He offers an invitation to follow him. And I wonder if in that moment, Levi felt this overwhelming sense of hope for the first time in a long time. As he was, felt this forgiveness from Jesus, this invitation into a new life that he no longer has to be known or identified as a tax collector, but rather he could walk with Jesus, who is the exact representation of our God, the image of the invisible God. He came to set the captives free. And he calls us out of our filth, and he calls us to follow him, to be in relationship with him. I wonder if Levi finally felt excitement. And I think that's why there was such an immediate response to Jesus's invitation to follow him. 
But what about us? What if Jesus showed up today? And what if he said, hey, follow me? Would we have the same response like Levi? Where we would get up, we would leave everything, and we would follow him full-heartedly for the rest of our lives. You know what? Jesus is here today. And he's inviting each one of us. If you have never made that commitment, if you have never responded to that invitation, he sees you. He knows your name. He knows your past, but he sees past your faults and your failures. And he says, I want to set you on a new path. I want to give you a new identity. Come, follow me. Let's do life together. See, Jesus came, he died. And the reason he died was because we needed a savior. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't be, um, yeah, we couldn't earn our way to heaven. Sin separated us from God. We were made for this intimate relationship with God. We are created unlike anything else in the universe. When God created man, he created us in his own image. And why to have a relationship with God? You know, sometimes I've wondered or other people have asked, well, if God created everything, why would he create sin? If sin separates us and causes death, because it separates us from God, who is the source of life, why would then God create sin? And the answer is, is because he's so loving. See, here's the thing. God wants to have a relationship with us, but he wants us to choose him, to choose to love him. If he forces us to love him, that's no love. That's manipulation. That's slavery. That's not love. So there had to be another choice. God had to give another choice to loving him. And it's that of rejection, of rebellion, of sin that leads to death. But Jesus, being God, he wanted to make a way for that separation to come back into relationship so that we could be reunited with the source of life, with God. And that's why Jesus died. That's what Easter is all about. He died on a cross, but three days later, he rose again conquering sin and death once and for all so that we can have hope. That's why Jesus came. He offered this to Levi, but he also offers it to us. And maybe you today have already responded to Jesus either decades ago or maybe a year ago. I don't know what, how long you've been walking with Christ. But here's the thing. I think we always need to be refreshed. <laughs> We need a fresh revelation of Jesus to know that he loves you. He's calling you. He knows you. If, if there's anything in your life that's hindering you, maybe you need to ask God today, hey God, what, what's holding me back? Am I, do I need to leave something behind to follow you? Is there something that is hindering me? You know, what is it? I've been praying over our students so much because I'm like, God, we need a fresh revelation of you. Life can get so blah sometimes when really it should never be blah because we serve the God of the universe. It should never be boring because our God came and saved us and he wants to do life with us. And so if we need a fresh revelation of God today, ask him for it. He's here. He sees you. He knows you. He's calling you. Start doing life with you. Start doing life with him. God is calling us today. You know, Levi's response was immediate and full-hearted 
He got so excited, but there's an outflow from that immediate following. And, and it continues on in verse 29, and it says this, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. You know, he basically, Levi's first thing that he does after he follows Jesus, gets up, leaves everything and follows Jesus, he throws a huge party. He has this massive banquet and celebration for Jesus. And he invites all of his friends, all of the people he knows, which were tax collectors and others, or later on it says sinners. And you know the word sinners, in one of the commentaries that I was reading, it says this about that word sinners. It was used to describe notoriously evil people and those who refused to follow the Mosaic law as interpreted by the teachers of the law. The term was commonly used of tax collectors, adulterers, robbers, and the like. Basically, this huge party, this celebration was full of a bunch of not very nice people. Like, you wouldn't want to take your kids there, probably. It's not like a family fun affair. You know, um, it's kind of like some sketchy people are there, you know. But this is, these are Levi's people. This is who he knows. And he has, he's just encountered Jesus who has called him out of his old life to follow him. And he wants everybody else to have that encounter. So he says, come to my house. You got to meet this guy. You know, like sometimes I've heard people who want to like walk on the line of moral stuff, you know, and it's like, well, this isn't so bad. Or they want to be partially in the world and partially following Jesus. And, and they'll use passages like this to say, well, I have to be in the bar to evangelize. You know, like Levi did it. You guys are missing the point. When, when we're using that as an, an excuse to be part of the world, Here's the thing, people knew why they were coming to the party. They knew the purpose of this party, and it was to encounter Christ. It wasn't to encounter Jesus. It wasn't to walk the line. Matthew or Levi wanted everybody to know who Jesus is and to have that same invitation. So he invites everybody he knows to encounter Jesus. Levi, you know... He invited them to meet Jesus and to encounter him. And here's the thing. When we're given an invitation like Levi was, when we're given an invitation to follow Jesus, it's not something that we just get to hold on to and never share. Actually, part of the outflow of following Jesus is to pass on that invitation. We can never hold it in. You know, there's no such thing or there should not be such thing as a silent Christian. Christians are always supposed to be spreading the good, good news, inviting people to know Jesus, to say, hey, there's hope, there's joy, there's life in Christ. That's, that should be part of our DNA as a church. That's what Levi did. And that's what I see over and over and over again in Scripture. You know, Andrew brought Peter. Philip called Nathaniel. Uh, the woman at the well who encountered Christ brought the whole community. And even Paul, who used to kill Christians and hated them, he met Christ. And then he, it radically changed his life. And he spent the rest of his life evangelizing and being a missionary, telling others about Christ. It should be part of our DNA. You know, Levi immediately passed it on. But how about us? Are we passing it on? If we've decided to follow Jesus, who are we sharing it with? Who are we passing it on to? 
You know, I've been so struck by Jesus's life recently, as I said, and, and there's two things in particular about his life that, that has struck me. And one is how people are drawn to him. You know, I think of the woman who, um, yeah, the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years, and she hears about Jesus, and she says, if I just touch his, the hem of his robe, I'll be healed. She heard about Jesus, and she was drawn to him, and she was healed, and God set her free that day. You know, or I think of Zacchaeus, who, who had heard about Jesus, and he climbs up into the sycamore tree, and, and he's up there, and, um, and he wants to know more about Jesus. He just wants to catch a glimpse of Jesus. You know, people were drawn to him. Even the blind man that I shared at the altar time, he was drawn to Christ, and he was desperate for a touch. Christian literally means little Christ. And therefore, my life should reflect the life of my Savior. Are people drawn to me so that I can point them to him? But the other thing about Jesus' life that strikes me is his intentionality. Not only were people drawn to him, but he was also intentional about reaching out. Because Zacchaeus, even though he had heard about him, he never encounter, or thought he would have an encounter with Christ. But Jesus stops under this tree where this little man was. And he says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house today. I want to spend some time with you. You know, or um, what are some other people? Like, there's just tons of examples. The blind man in John 9, where Jesus, the disciples are like, well, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, neither, but rather to show God's glory. And Jesus goes and he, like, I don't even, I think the story's hilarious, kind of, because he spits in some mud, or some dirt, and makes some mud, throws it on the eyes. I don't know if Jesus told him what he was doing or who he was. All of a sudden, this blind man has mud on his eyes, and he's told to go wash. Well, he goes and washes, and he's, he can see, and he's finally kicked out of the synagogue because he's like, I don't know, this man, he, like, can anybody else heal the blind? He has to be from God. And the Pharisees were so upset that they finally cast him out. And Jesus once again comes and he finds him. He's intentional. And he says, do you believe? And he says, yeah, I believe. I'm struck once again by Jesus' intentionality at reaching out to people. So again, I'm challenged. Am I intentional? Number one, are people drawn to me because I have the Holy Spirit in me? And am I able to point them to Christ? Number two, am I being intentional with reaching out to those around me to say, hey, do you know Jesus? How about you? If you know Christ, if you declare yourself as a Christian, are people drawn to you? And are you intentional at reaching out? My dad and I were chatting just a couple days ago, and and there's that saying, right, where it's like, preach Jesus always, or preach Christ always, and if necessary, use words. And I actually don't like that saying, yes, of course we need to live it. If I'm not living the Christian life, then I can't be preaching it. But I think in North America, we rely on that too much, and we never use our words. What do you say to a three-year-old when they're throwing a tamper tantrum? Use your words. Maybe for us, we need to use our words and finally start preaching. Do you know who Jesus is? Because he came and he died and he rose again and he loves you. He wants to wipe away your sin and make you new and make you clean, set you on a new path. We need to use our words. You know, (laughs) and I'm not standing up here saying that I have, I just want to say that. (laughs) 
I'm not perfect at this, but I'm asking God, help me to get better at it. Help me to, to live a life that people are drawn to, but help me to use my words to be intentional to reach out. Because there's a dying world who needs Christ, who needs Jesus, you know? But there's one last response to Jesus' invitation in this passage. We see Levi's. It was immediate. It was full-hearted. He got up. He left everything, and he followed him. He had a huge party. He invited everybody he knew to encounter Christ for themselves. But then there's another party. There's another group of people um, that we see their response to Jesus. And it's in verse 20, or verse 30. It says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You know, their response is almost comical, but super sad as well. See, the Pharisees were the religious people. They had all of the rules. They knew everything that should and shouldn't be done, and they followed them to a T. But here's the thing about the Pharisees is that they were prideful. They were arrogant. They were self-righteous. They said, I can do this myself. God looks through all of that. He doesn't really care about our deeds because deeds are an outflow of the heart. Jesus looks at the heart and he saw that their hearts were hard, prideful, and arrogant. But rather he looked at Levi and he saw this deep desire to follow Jesus, this desire to walk with him, but this this guilt, this feeling of being unworthy, and that's when Jesus encountered him. See, the interesting thing, like I said before, um, this choice, this invitation that God gives us, it's this choice to either reject him or to love him. To either reject him and disobey or to obey him and to walk with him. And we all have that choice. The Pharisees excluded themselves from entering into that relationship with God because of their own pride and self-righteousness. They thought they were okay. They thought they were good. But when they're in that situation, God's hands are tied and he can't do anything because there's not a need for a savior. When in reality, every single person has a need for a savior. We can't be good enough. Our good deeds are like filthy rags compared to God's holiness. We're all in need of a savior, but we have to recognize that need. And, and Jesus, actually, it's funny because I wonder if, if Jesus was there. Like, it seems as if the, the Pharisees were outside this house because they never would have gone into a house like that because that would have made them unclean. And eating with somebody was a sign of, of, of intimacy and friendship. And they are, were so staunch about who they would spend time with because there was no way they wanted to be unclean. That would defile them, right? And so they were, it was as if they were standing outside of the house waiting for somebody to come out to give an earful to, and it happened to be the disciples. I don't know if Jesus was there when they said this or if the disciples told him or if Jesus just knew what they were complaining about, but Jesus, it seems like he comes out and he addresses their judgment, their self-righteous arrogance with a, with a little saying, and this is what he says to them. He says, it's not for the healthy who need it, or it's not the the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, he speaks to their arrogance by using an analogy in the physical realm to show his purpose in the spiritual realm. 
And so Jesus shares this and he addresses this arrogance and he says, look, this, the healthy don't need a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. But think about this. How many people are, think that they are healthy, but then in reality, they're really sick inside, but they don't think they need a doctor. They think they're fine when on the inside, there's a cancer growing that's bringing death. So they don't go to the doctor until it's too late. I think that's what Jesus is meaning in this passage. He's saying, hey, the reality is, is you're all sick. You all have a cancer. But if you don't think you do, the reality is it's still there and it's bringing death. But I can't do anything until you come to me. Until you declare that you need a doctor. Until you need a savior. Because that's when I come in. And that's when I can bring hope and healing and new life. Forgiveness of sins. You know, Jesus, it's funny, um, in chapter 18, there's this parable that Jesus tells about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the reason he said it, if you want to follow along, it's Luke 18, verse 9. Um, And the reason he's saying this, it says in verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, their own doing, they were confident that they were good enough And they were looking down on everybody else. They were judging and condemning everyone else. Jesus told them this parable. And he says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, which is interesting in and of itself. He prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, like robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I have. There was no thanking God for what he had done or recognition of his need for God. He said, I've done it. I'm good. God's hands are tied there. He can't do much in that situation. But then we keep reading it. It says the tax collector stood at a distance and he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus came to call sinners, not the righteous. The reality is, the good news is, is we're all sinners, but that's who Jesus came to call. Was us. In our filth, in our brokenness, in our mess. The first part of coming to Jesus is to recognize that you're sick, you're in need of a doctor. That you're a sinner in need of a savior. God came to set the captives free. He came to die for your forgiveness of sins. He rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death, so that we can live in victory. And he came to invite us to follow him into new life, into a new identity. Some of you know, but Levi is actually one of the 12 disciples. And, and later on in this gospel, Levi is actually known as Matthew. And if you know anything about Matthew, Matthew's the guy who wrote the gospel, Matthew. And I wonder if Luke and Mark write this story about Levi slash Matthew, and they use the name Levi to signify his old life, and then throughout the rest of the gospel, they use the name Matthew to signify a new identity that Jesus had given him. I don't know if he had the encounter with Jesus and the same kind of idea with Simon going to Peter. 
But it almost seems like that. And it's interesting because Matthew, when he writes about this story, he uses his name Matthew instead of Levi. Because I wonder if he never wanted to be recognized as Levi ever again. Because that was the old, and now he's new in Christ. He answered that call. He caught up. He left everything. And he followed Jesus full-heartedly for the rest of the days. He shared it with his friends right away. He had this huge party. But then he continued to preach the gospel as his book, his letter, Matthew, has continued to share about who Jesus is for the past 2,000 years. Our God sees us. He knows you. He loves you. He calls you by name. He says, come follow me. And he wants to give you a new identity. He wants to give you a purpose. And he wants to embolden you to go out and to share this good news, this invitation with other people, to pass it on. Levi's response was immediate and full surrender. So what's our response? How are we going to respond to this invitation today? You know, if you have never declared Jesus as Lord, if you have never responded to this invitation to him, you can today. And how do you do that? You say, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Can you forgive me? And he will. And ask him to come and help you to follow him. And he will help you follow him. Today, he would love to start that journey with you. And it doesn't matter what your past looks like. He he doesn't care about that. He just wants to make you new going forward. And for those of us who have answered that call, do we need to give up something that's maybe hindering us? Do we need to forsake maybe some bad influences, relationships, maybe a job, maybe he's calling us into something else? I don't know what it looks like, but the Holy Spirit will speak that into your heart. I don't have to be God. God knows you. And so ask him this morning, God, is there anything that I need to give up that's hindering me from following you? And also, if you have been walking with Jesus, I'd encourage you, ask God, who do I need to pass it on to? Ask for a name, ask for a face, ask for boldness. You know, Peter, like, denied Jesus three times. And then 50 days later, when he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, he got up and he proclaimed with boldness to thousands of people. What was the change? The Holy Spirit gave him power and boldness and a passion to share the gospel. So this morning, instead of a normal um, altar call, I actually want to give us space just a couple minutes where we sit before God. And if you need to come up to the altar and pray up here and listen, you can do that. If you want to stay in your pews, you can. If you've got to get down on your knees or just even hold out your hands and say, God, what do you want to say today? Holy Spirit, what's my response supposed to be? And if you've never answered that call, answer that call. If you want to follow Jesus, start today. Ask for forgiveness of sins and he'll forgive you and give you a new life. And for those of us who have been walking with Jesus, once again, ask, is there anything hindering me that I need to forsake? And who are the people that I need to pass on this invitation to? So we're going to give it a couple minutes. And don't worry, we'll still be dismissed early. But let's give a couple minutes to the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to come and to speak.
with your eyes still closed, I just want to ask if, if anybody did um, want to receive Jesus today. If you, if you either prayed that prayer this morning, saying, God, have mercy on me, I just encourage you to raise your hands because we just want to pray over you, really, <laughs> if there's anybody here. rest of us, I'm just going to pray over us that we would be filled with power and excitement to go and share the gospel and to obey God. And and those of you who did raise your hands, please see either myself or another pastor or staff member, and and we want to set you on the road to following Jesus and helping you in that way. But let's just pray, God, we just thank you that you're a good God. You're not condemning, you're not an angry God, but God, you're a God of love. And you come and you see us in our filth and you call us out of it. You know our name, you see us in the crowd and you you call us to follow you, to be in relationship with you. So God, today we just say, Lord, thank you for saving us, a sinner. Thank you for forgiving me and giving me new life. And God, we want to walk with you. We want to follow you. So if there's anything in our lives that are hindering us, we forsake it right now, Jesus. We just ask that you would show us that. And Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to follow you. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would empower each and every one of us to go out with boldness, passion, and excitement. With power to share your good news with all of the people that we know. Father God, we just ask that you would use us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness. We just ask that your name be glorified as we go out of this place. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Go in peace and enjoy the sunshine.